Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. We start with the news that broke just a short time ago. Furniture Row Racing is ceasing operations after this season, citing a lack of necessary funding to field a competitive team. Located in Denver, Colorado, with a staff of 61 employees, Furniture Row made its cup debut back in 2005. Team owner Barney Visser releasing a statement which reads, in part, I've always felt that we could be a competitive team and run for a championship, even when it seemed like a pipe dream to many racing insiders. We achieved what we set out to do and feel like we climbed Mount Everest. To continue with anything less than a competitive team would not be acceptable. It's been one incredible ride. Reigning Cup Series champion Martin Truex Jr. also releasing a statement. While I am saddened by today's announcement, I totally understand the decision. Barney Visser, Joe Garoni, and the entire Furniture Row Racing team took me in while my career was in a bad place. And together we reached the pinnacle of the sport. I will forever be grateful to each and every one of them. Truex went on to say that defending the Cup Series championship remains foremost on his mind. That is certainly a tough task given the news. Um, let's bring everybody in. I'm here with Parker Clearman. We've got Steve Latart, Jeff Burton. We also have NBCSports.com's Nate Ryan. Nate, before we get into the analysts and their reaction to this, I want to throw a couple questions to you. Uh, first off, about a month ago, Barney Visser said that this team was not going to close its doors next season. So what changed? Well, essentially, the, the money situation changed, Carolyn. When they put that statement out, it was after Five Hour Energy had announced that they were leaving the team next year. That left a budget hole of several million dollars for 2019. I think at that point, the team was optimistic that it could be filled. And unfortunately, most companies have their budgets set already for 2019. So to go out into the market and ask for a company to give a NASCAR team several million dollars this late in the year for next season just was an untenable situation. So Barney Visser took a look at the look at the numbers as he put it they didn't work and he decided as he said he didn't want to borrow money to be competitive next season which is what he said he would have had to do if he would have kept furniture racing going nate what does this mean for martin Truex jr moving forward well, he's already a free agent for 2019, Carolyn, so he's already talking to teams. Uh, there are a couple of teams, obviously, that have some high-profile openings. One would be Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, there'll be certainly a lot of speculation on where he's headed at Bristol Motor Speedway. He didn't give any intention, any indication that he had any intention but racing next season, so I think you'll certainly see him be back next year. And they just quickly, before we bring in our analysts on this, a lot of fans asking on social media where Cole Pern will be as well, his crew chief, if the two of them are going to remain together in some fashion. Do we have any idea yet if that could be the case moving forward? Uh, no idea yet, Carolyn. Uh, I will say Cole Pern is Canadian, and he has worked before in the North Carolina area for other teams. He has indicated that he ne didn't necessarily want to return to Charlotte. He has said publicly that when the Furniture Racing run ended that he thought he probably would head back to Canada. But I'm sure, as you say, that, that, that if Martin Truex Jr. returns in the Cup Series next year, uh, there would be a lot of desire to have Cole Pern with him. So I'm sure he will have offers if he wants to remain a crew chief uh, in NASCAR, just not in Denver. It would be in the Charlotte. Area. All right, let's welcome Jeff and Stephen Parker into the conversation now. Jeff, going to start with you for whatever direction you want to go in this. The thought that comes to my mind is how on earth the defending series champion 
cannot stay in business. Yeah, well, first, Karen, let me say that I think there are a lot of car owners right now looking around saying you could get a crew chief driver combination that just won the championship. That's going to be a lot of, of, I don't want to say pressure, but a lot of attention paid to those two working together uh, because, you know, they are so successful together. Uh, a, a car owner is going to want to try to keep that. Uh, as far as the business side of things, look, this, this, this sport is in a reshuffle. I mean, it just, it is. It's having to restructure. It's why the race team alliance with the car owners involvement in it, it's why that exists. Uh, the business uh, environment today is not great to be a NASCAR car owner. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern are going to have jobs. I, I hope everybody in that shop can have jobs, but the, the top people in that company are certainly going to have jobs while Barney Visser is having to shut down the doors. And that's how difficult it is today uh, to be a car owner. You have a, a, a accelerated cost. Uh, the cost of engineering, the cost of development, all those things are going like this while you have sponsorship dollars going like this, and it doesn't add up. So uh, there's going to have to be a restructure for these car owners if they're going to have success in this sport. Well said, Jeff, and I have to say, you know, I'm sad that we're at a point where it makes more financial sense in this sport right now for team owners to shut down than to keep a team going, right? If they want to be competitive, it's too, the cost is just too high. And as you said, the sponsorship situation is something I think a lot of fans are pointing out that, you know, hey, this is maybe a, a black guy in the sport that you can't raise a sponsorship. Well, you know, I don't even think it's really on the sport per se as much as it's the world is changing. The marketing dollars are shifting to this thing called the internet, if you haven't heard of it. The world, the way the, these two companies are spending their marketing dollars is changing, and these teams have a... a, a a business model that is reliant on sponsorship. There's actually a large team, a powerhouse team, that I was recently told has basically 85 or more than 85% of their revenue comes from sponsorship alone. So right now, for these teams, they're in a, a position where their only source of revenue in a lot of ways is declining while their costs are going up, as Jeff just said. And so that's a tough position to be in. And I think there's something else that I'd like to kind of bring in here that I don't think a lot of fans understand, that there's a discussion in the sport right now amongst a lot of team owners that a car that's 31st in points right now is probably the car that's running to the most viable financial model in the sport. That's a problem for these top teams. Steve, what's your reaction? Well, my concern is what Parker was just talking about. It's very simply, I don't know the why, but the concern is that for years, for decades, NASCAR was about winning races. My job as a crew chief is about winning races. And forever, performance on the racetrack seemed to run parallel with the business model of running a race team. If you ran well on the racetrack, the marketing company, the business, the owner, the sponsor, found a way to put the business model together where you were successful. You perhaps grew, perhaps you had more money to spend and success breeded more success. In today's NASCAR, that does not seem to make sense anymore. It seems like how you run on the racetrack is very separate than the business structure of the company. Somehow, we have to find those two to realign. I'm not sure the answer, but that's my concern because that's the big thing here. We've seen teams shut down, but this is the defending champion. I think that is why this is going to be such a shock to the entire sport. Steve, let's bring it back to right now. You've got one race until the playoffs. Defending Series Champions team is closing its doors. And, oh, by the way, we're not really sure of the future of Cole Pern and some of these other guys where they're going to end up. How on earth as a crew chief, if you're on Cole Pern, if you are Cole Pern, do you keep your team motivated right now? Uh, to be honest, I think you don't, Carolyn. I think if you try to put the playoffs, the performance of that 78 car, in front of the livelihoods of those 61 employees out in – Colorado, then it's just insensitive to the situation. I mean, I, I was driven to win, driven to win championships. That is why I ep, you know, slept 
eat, breathe. That was my goal. But the simple fact is performance on the racetrack is one thing. Livelihood to provide for your family is another. And I think the best thing this 78 can do is be honest with themselves and say that has to be the number one goal. Now, does that mean it should be a distraction during practice on a Friday or the race on a Sunday? No. But if you think it's not going to be a distraction in the garage area with conversations, in preparation during the week, then you're crazy. So I think the simple fact is you don't try to hide from it. You just hit it head on. You let everybody in the entire team know that you're there to support whatever they need for time, time off, whether they need to make phone calls, go to meetings, uh, talk to other crew chiefs while they're in the garage area. These are the men and women that brought the 78 to a championship. I think it's the responsibility of Cole Pern now, and I think he will do this. The responsibility is to try his best to position all those, because much like Jeff Burton said, Cole Pern and Martin Trax Jr., they will be in high demand, but the demand will dwindle as it works the entire organization. Yeah, yeah Steve, I, you know, we as fans, uh, we've all been lucky enough to be in this industry and make a living, but I think there's times the fans forget that this is how people send their kids to school. This is how people pay their mortgage, make their car payments, all those things. All these guys are now in the jar market. And where's the new team coming from? So that's, that is the problem also. So you have all these people that are highly skilled at what they do, but who is there to need those high-skilled people? Not only that, they have to relocate. So this is a very difficult situation uh, for those guys in Colorado. They're tough, to, to stay in racing, they're going to have to move. They're going to have to reposition themselves, their families. Uh, some will decide not to. Some will decide they love Colorado, stay there, try to find employment there. But this, there's no way that this isn't a distraction. If, the, if this team can continue to compete and, and go to Homestead with a chance to win the championship, it will be an amazing feat to do that. Because there, you cannot, there's no way you can tell me that you can focus on building the fastest race cars, the, having all the things you need to be competitive to win races while you're worried about your, your, your livelihood and your family. That's a very big thing to ask. They'll all try. They'll all put every bit of effort that they can into it, but it's going to be tough for those guys. And it would further the narrative at Furniture Row Racing. If, it would be an incredible achievement, Jeff, but if they're able to do it, you think about all the adversity they overcame last year with you know, Sherry Pollock's cancer and the death of a team member and Barney Visser's heart attack and you know, everything that transpired there at Furniture Row Racing. They're known for being the underdogs who overcome things. But as you said, and as, as Steve said, it's going to be difficult. And you know, to contextualize this a little bit more and to put a number on it, there are 61 employees at Furniture Row Racing, according to the team. And one of the reasons that Barney Visser said he put the news out today was he wanted to give them a jump on trying to find employment for next year. One thing, one thing I want to add, Carolyn, also is that you know, when I think about Martin Truex Jr. And you, th and you think about what he's been through, remember he was at Michael Waldrop Racing. Things are going really, really well. Team shut down. He's dealt with the, the, the cancer with his girlfriend, Sherry. Now he's won a championship. Team shutting down. This guy, like every, you know, keeps getting hit. But I'm telling you, the reason he's going to be wanted, number one, is because he's winning races right now. Number two, his perspective on things, this will only make him a better race car driver. This will only make him more hungry uh, because he keeps having things taken away from him and he knows he's got to fight. So I, if, if I'm a car owner and I have a spot, I'm going to Martin Truex Jr. right now and I say, I want you. I'm going to have to find a way to get him on my race team. 
Well, Steve, we've seen that frustration already over the last couple weeks from Martin Truex Jr. They've made mistakes. There's been a lack of focus. The results haven't been there. He hasn't been as closely associated with the other two members of the Big Three in recent weeks. How much do you think this has attributed to some of those mistakes, the frustration that we've seen from Martin Truex Jr.? Well, I think it's very fair to say that if we're hearing about this today, then Martin Truex Jr., Cole Pern, and perhaps a majority of the race team has known about it for some time, or at least knew it was likely. Um, I think we've learned from that team they, they fight into the last bell. So I, I'm not saying that they knew they were going to close the doors, but if they ended up closing the doors, which is what was announced today, then I'm sure the team members felt it or saw it coming. And that, that's a distraction. I mean, listen, racing at the cup level is as tough as it comes. And you cannot say with a clear mind if you stand toe-to-toe against someone else and there's a distraction or something in their back of your mind that doesn't feel right, even if it isn't in the forefront, even if you aren't potentially thinking about it, it's still there. It's still a distraction. And it doesn't take much to slow down just a little bit of the communication and, and a little bit of the motivation. And this team will be motivated. The question is, will they, will they have the time and the ability? And will everybody be able to stay? I mean, think about this. We're talking about 2019, but if you're a crew member and you don't have a contract requiring you to stay and you can start at another team in the playoffs, I'm leaving. And I think Cole Pern will understand that. So I would be, I'm going to be surprised if this team stays together for these final 11 races. And I can tell you that I actually got the chance to hang out with this team at Donington. I think a lot of the team members kind of knew this was coming, understood this was coming. And you could just tell there's a palpable sense of disappointment, you know, sadness amongst the team. And, and as Steve said, you know, they know that they're going to start being cherry-picked and moved around and things are going to change from this a, a, a team that my – eyes was so innovative so defiant in so many respects did not do what everyone else did and now you know this team this band is going to get torn apart essentially jeff do you want the last word on this my my only other thought here is is wondering whether or not this is something that we're going to see more of i mean i know it's complicated to explain the business model of the sport and what this means moving forward but what, what would be your final thought to to wrap up the big news of the day well i think that all the car owners uh and nascar will use this as more motivation to try to get uh, the, the system that needs to be reorganized fixed and fixed sooner. I, this is a wake-up call. Uh, we've had several wake-up calls along the way. Uh, there's always something that's the tipping point. And to me, uh, this is it. The, the fact that you have a, a championship team, driver, crew chief, owner, uh, Barney's done an incredible job of putting that team together. The fact that he can't continue on Relying on the model that's always worked uh, tells me that you know this is this is the tipping point for sooner and more harsh actions to try to help the owners. This is this is really an owner problem, uh, and and owners obviously employ people, and that makes it an employment problem. But at the end of the day, the structure that's not as healthy as it needs to be today is the owner model, and how do you bring in enough revenue? Uh, and how do you not have to spend as much to be competitive? This will, in my opinion, this will strengthen uh, the bond that's needed to be better between the owners and NASCAR about how to create this system that can be competitive and successful. Yeah, I mean, simply, without getting into the details, the status quo is broken. For years, there have been teams that have shut down, and there was always a reason. There was always a story. There was always, this should have worked, but this is the reason. I'm struggling to find the butt in this statement. It's a team that won. It's an organization that for a long time spent its own money. Remember, Barney Visser's company was on the hood of this race car. So much like Barney said in his 
statement, they did climb Mount Everest of motorsports. They won a championship at the premium level in North America. They won a NASCAR Cup Series championship. For them to go out of business proves to me that the status quo is completely broken and change will have to happen. Well said, Steve. I agree. The financial model is broken. I think, you know, if things don't change, there's really only two solutions for these teams. Essentially, you're going to have, have to find a way for these teams to be able to make more revenue aside from sponsorship or these large teams are going to continue to contract down to the size of the smaller teams to go to what the model in its current form allows teams to run to. And I don't think anyone wants that. So we've got to find a way so to change it. So it seems like the next step is maybe looking for a plan B, so to speak. Unfortunately, we're thinking about all the employees at Furniture are Racing today who are going to be looking for employment um, into next season. Nate and Jeff, we appreciate you guys coming on with us to digest the news. We're going to be back to talk more about the Southern 500 in just a couple of minutes after commercial break. Brad Keselowski finally grabbing the crown jewel win that has eluded him for so long. It is Scandal Darlington, and it's straight ahead when we come back on NASCAR America. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. take somebody that's won the biggest lotteries in the world and that's what it feels like. I mean, you feel like you're king for a day. Uh, you feel like you're the most powerful person in the world when you've won the brickyard. It's just, there's a lot of races to win and there's a lot of races that, you know, when you retire, you love having that trophy on there. But that memory of coming down the front stretch and seeing those checkered flags waving, there, there's no better feeling than winning at the brickyard. that the drive for the playoffs ends in the racing capital of the world. It's a place that Tony Stewart knows a thing or two about, and it's the final shot to clinch a spot in the postseason. Do not miss the Monster Energy Cup Series at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Sunday, 2 Eastern, right here on NBCSN. So only two playoff spots remain open with just one race left. Hendrick teammates Jimmy Johnson and Alex Bowman currently holding those positions, but one of them could be left out, depending on what happens at Indy. Brad Kozlowski clinching his spot at Bristol, but had yet to win a race. That all changed, of course, Sunday night at Darlington. A fun race tonight. It's a cool place to win. Probably one of the coolest places to win. It's pretty cool to see Steve Parr's pacing you out here, man. Yeah, 10-4. So I'm a driver's meeting today. Oh, that's cool. Take them back to old 1972, give the king a good ride here. Landon, we do not have a light-up sign. You're just going to have to go off the pit board. Yeah, we're going throwback all the way. Junior, this is the moment we've been waiting for. The pace car is off. There you see it. The green flag is out. The Southern 500. We talked about your car, what we need to do here. First few laps, it's strong. Builds looser from there. Kyle Larson's margin, huge, 12 seconds. How bad this wax in the field? Pretty bad. The only time anybody gets uh, a chance is when they pit. The 42 running. Every watch, it looks like the primarily low, not the way low line, but low. So damn arrow sensitive. Horrible. If we could ever get the lead, we'd be all right. We just suck in traffic. Holy Not a lot here. Spin again. Oh, the 23, some hard contact on the inside wall. Did we do anything to deserve that, or? In the point. Where are you at with staying out here, Jimmy? Do we go down two more laps now if we have to pit early or something? 
we were to be two laps down to the leaders until they pit, but if you can predict the future, you would be driving a race up. Just watch this 99, I ain't sure where he'll be when you get to it. Max, we need to get off the racetrack. Lordy, don't let us get hung by them. He's gonna be the next caution. Here we go again, middle of the corner. Hey, come on. Everybody will pit this time, pit this time. Inside, inside. Ryan Newman's in the wall. Clint Boyer comes piling in. Uh, 14, goes in, crashes. What the hell happened there? He was on the radio, and I had no clue that guy was pitting. And we just smelled him. What was Boyer looking at there? I don't know. It looked like he was texting and driving, to be honest with you, the way the crash was. If we start taking wave rounds, there's a chance we can get back on the lead lap, but we're going to have to take every chance we get. Yeah, I, I'm not, whatever. We ain't going to win a race, so just do whatever you got to do. Jeffrey Earnhardt's bent. Yeah, I mean, it's all I can do trying to hold on to the damn thing. Truex gets into the fence trying to avoid. Like Dave Thunder. 70-something miles, don't straighten the wall. I got to hit it to miss a freaking spinner. Put left your tires rubbing. I do not see smoke from here. I have a can you tell anything on what side? I said the left rear. Copy. Our sixth caution flag of the evening with 22 laps to go. We will pit when it's open. How about your balance there? That was pretty good here in this run. Go, 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 go. Hard, 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 hard. Brad Kozlowski off of pit road in front of Kyle Larson. You beat him. You 42 22. Larson doesn't control the restart. Keselowski clears Larson. Great exit, great exit. 12 car lengths back, he's by himself. Kyle Larson dominating for so long and now struggling just to hold on to third. Just pretty loose behind that. Uh, I don't know what to say besides we just feed that away. Brad Keselowski, with help of his pit crew, win the 69th Southern 500. He done it. A major. Yeah. Awesome. Great job, pit crew. That stop was awesome. Thank you so much for that. Sweep Starlington, that's cool. You're darn right, man. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Such a frustrating night for Kyle Larson, juxtaposed by an incredible evening for Brad Keselowski. And I wonder, Steve, if Penske now is in position to capitalize on this momentum with one race to go until the playoffs. Well, I think Team Penske has to feel good about their 1-2 finish. It wasn't since 1975 that they won at Darlington. Um, they were honest in their interviews. They both knew they didn't have the best car most of the night. The 42 of Kyle Larson did. But the best car doesn't always win the race. And when you look at four and 500-mile races, it comes down to execution. Brad Kozlowski did what we said he needed to do at the beginning of the show, which is manage 500 miles. He kept himself in position. And in the end, the pit crew did their job when it mattered. They got that lead. He was able to control the restart. That was really the difference. And then Joey Logano, just in a Joey Logano sort of way, ground his way up to that second-place finish. But I was really impressed with the 42 of Kyle Larson, his excitement in his interview could have easily been disappointment. Instead, he chose to take the positives out of a great run. So surprisingly, I think they're leaving me momentum for the 42 of Kyle Larson. Well, for me, the performance by the two cars is why I have been harping on them for weeks about being maybe the member, the fourth member of our big four, big three that we have, and adding a fourth there. I believe Brad Kozowski and that two team, led by Paul Wolf, what you saw them do this past weekend, they just hung around, they used strategy at the end, they nailed that, and boom, they, when he was put in position, Brad Kozowski nailed that restart and won the race. That is why this team, in my opinion, is the fourth best team out there right now and will be a contender for 
the championship come home to Miami. You've been saying it for a very long time. Yes. He was up front when it counted that race off pit road. Just heartbreaking if you're a Kyle Larson fan. But what, what a way for Brad Keselowski to execute down the stretch. There were other performances, though, worth noting, despite the fact that Penske went 1-2. Who do you have in running with the pack? Well, we actually talked about the running of the pack set again in the race because of this driver, and that is Chris Busher finishing 13th. It was an incredible run for this race team. And to think this race team has told me at times, you know, their goal in a race is just to stay on the lead lap by the third stage. If they do that, they feel like that's going to enable them to get a top 25 or a top 20. And to come to a track like Darlington, that is sort of considered a downforce track, like a mile and a half, to have the performance they had where they were all the way up to fifth place at one point and running up there and actually had a right rear tire kind of delaminate and come apart. He had to make it basically pit uh, they basically had to pit um, before pit road opened and it put them far behind but he still came back with have a great finish in 13 so it was just an overall awesome run for Chris Bush. I love that you mentioned that in the race yeah. broadcast by the way you said running with the pack I got so excited because we do it every week we showcase these drivers who are not being mentioned at the very front of the field who else caught so you? also who caught my eye was the uh, front row motorsports cars of David Reagan and Michael uh, McDowell they based, they got a top 20 which is the first time they've done that at Donington they were pretty excited about that but this is a race team that aims to get top 20s so one of them finished 18th one finished 20th and begin this season Bob Jenkins invested more in this race team trying to move them up the grid a little bit and they've been showing those performances but a night like that like the other night to have both their cars in the top 20 really kind of pays off those efforts of their team owner and so this was a great run by Front Row Motorsports and maybe kind of signs that they can pull this off more often as we go to other mile and a half. Steve I know you had your hands full with the race call nice job by the way but um, who do you have in running with the pack of driver that maybe stood out to you? Well, I saw Ty Dillon at times impressed me. This is a car that um, has really been disappointing. In my mind, most of the season, they have not run up to where I expected them to run. But you take them to one of the toughest racetracks at one of the toughest races, and they just managed the night. And I know 21st isn't an all-star performance, but for a team that's looking to right the ship, the 21st at the Southern 500, I thought was a major step in the right direction, basically because he stayed off the radar. They didn't do anything silly. He didn't do anything to damage the race car. And you know how it is, Parker. At some point, you just have to get kind of the ball moving in the right direction. And I think they could build off this 21st heading to the Brickyard. Remember, that's where he's won his only Xfinity race. He won an Xfinity race at the Brickyard, a track he runs well at. Maybe they could carry that momentum there. No doubt, Steve. That's a great point. And definitely, you know, there's no other way to put their season as other than a disappointment. So 21st place finish was big for them. I know Ty was excited about that. But I, I think also what he was doing before the race was pretty important there <laughs> when he was trying to rile the crowd as we were under that <laughs> delay for lightning. This is great. Well, moment. I appreciated it. I appreciate it for sure because I was up in the booth trying to fill some time before we got cars on the track without my man Rick Allen up there. So. These two, uh, Matt DiBenedetto and Ty Dillon, they get an A-plus for crowd <laughs> engagement. Definitely. That was awesome. DiBenedetto, what was that? The stomp and the clap? The stomp like and the clap. The Rocky yeah, stomp I and the clap? They just decided. I, know. He was, I know Ty was asking Matt to come out, and Matt's like, all right, I'll join yeah, you. Yeah, fine. with the throwback theme. Yeah. Uh, well done, gentlemen, for sure. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by the morning drive, Pete Pistoni. Uh, what does today's news mean for the future of the defending champ? Is the gap actually closing to the big three? And will desperation bring out risky strategies in Indy? Pete, with his take, when we come back, stay with us.
You can catch NASCAR on NBC personalities every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern on The Morning Drive with Mike Bagley and Pete Pistoni. It's Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90, and Dale Jr. is going to be their guest tomorrow. So we're looking forward to that. Pete joins us on the phone right now. Pete, got to start with the biggest story of the day. I know your show just wrapped up as the news was breaking, broke right after, so I'm sure the phones will be off the charts tomorrow. But what is your reaction to Furniture Row? Well, I think, you know, once the initial shock sort of wears off, Carolyn, you start to think that the reality is the longer the story went on, when we didn't know what was going to happen, it seemed to me the more inevitable what we found out today was probably going to happen. It's, you know, a sad story for sure when you have 10 months removed from this team hoisting the championship trophy in Homestead Miami Speedway, dissolving at the end of the season. But I think the reality is, I mean, the, the business of this sport, it, nobody's immune to it. Whether you run 30th every week or you win a championship, sponsorship and the business model is something that's going to touch every team. And now the question becomes, does the business model change? Can it change? And then I guess the other part of it is, of course, what happens to Mark Truex Jr. and Colt Hearn at the end of this season? You know, we had Steve Latart weigh in earlier, um, so I just want to move on here to another topic with you, Pete, and then let Steve chime in. Obviously, Truex had a frustrating night at Darlington. It makes a little bit more sense today as we're learning that a lot of these employees saw the writing on the wall. With another team outside of the Big Three winning for another consecutive week, their dominance was in discussion after the race. Here's Joey Logano on the Big Three. Uh, as a driver that's not considered part of the Big Three, do you feel like um, the field has kind of leveled out. Three of the last four winners in the Cup Series have not been Bush, Truex, or Harvick. So do you feel like... <laughs> yeah! So, yeah, so do you feel like they're kind of vul- like maybe a little bit vulnerable as the playoffs are approaching? Sure. They should be scared. <laughs> We're coming for them. I don't know. Uh, they're still really strong teams. But, um, you know, the fact that we can keep up and race them and and pass them that's that felt good that's been you know about a year since i passed one of those cars so that that feels really good the last couple races (laughs) didn't know i could do that anymore it felt good (laughs) (laughs) pete how scared should the big three actually be well i think it's interesting carolyn at this time of the year since we have the playoff format it's very similar to what we see i think in baseball at the end of the regular season you want to have that momentum and get into the playoffs and try to carry it forward I think he got a one-two finish out of Team Penske, which is great. But, I mean, the reality is they had a lot of circumstances go their way. I didn't see a lot of speed out of that team. I wouldn't discount them, but I'm not quite ready yet to break up the big three. And even though Martin Truex Jr. doesn't have the finishes on the board in the last few weeks that we're used to seeing and all this news rolling around, I'm still not ready to dismiss him as someone that's not going to be in this championship picture the rest of the way. Pete, I'll go one farther that Joey Logano can't answer what I consider a serious question with a serious answer. It's almost with in jest. Like, he knows how far behind they are, and that's not a knock on the work that Team Penske's putting in or by the wonderful effort they put into the Southern 500 to, one, to run first and second. I just think, Carolyn, the simple fact is that the four of Kevin Harvick, the 18 of Kyle Busch, maybe those two over the 78 with the breaking news, they have been dominant in many different types of racetracks and for most of the season – I know Darlington was perhaps a little bit of a downturn. They weren't out there leading laps. Indy, maybe they'll bounce back. But I think we're all waiting to see what kind of equipment they show up with when the playoffs start. This guy right here, Kevin Harvick, he scares me more than any of them because he's the one when there's blood in the water, he pounces. And he's going to see this announcement with the 78 as, um, as, as you know, inopportune it is for the 78. It's going to be a huge opportunity for the four. And if I know Kevin Harvick, he is going to jump on this opportunity 
to try to set the record straight that he should be the favorite. You know, Pete, it's crazy to think about the fact that you would have elation from a driver with the caliber of Joey Logano after just a couple of races where anybody outside of the big three was actually able to score a win. Yeah, well, you're right about that. And, you know, to Steve's point, I think he knows what he's up against here. Listen, you're never going to turn it, turn you know, back a, a one-two finish, and I get that, and they should, they should applaud it. But, I mean, when you look at what those other guys have done, it's not going to fade away. And if anything, they're going to just ramp up their games when the playoffs come. That seems to happen every year, and I don't expect it to change any much. I, I think they'll be in the picture. If you're Team Penske, you've got to be a little more optimistic, but I still think you've got a long way to go yet to catch that big three. All right, Pete, let's talk about the Brickyard. It's a huge week here, final stop of the regular season, final chance for all these teams to make the playoffs. What do you expect in terms of strategies and risks? How do you see this playing out? There are a number of desperate teams that are looking to go for a big win. Yeah, and that's how I would look at it. You know, Stevie's the crew chief. I'm not. But, boy, I would go with as many strategies as I could, do as many things that are way out of the box as I could to get track position. We know how important that is in Indianapolis because if you're one of those teams that can only win to make the playoffs, I'm looking at you, Jamie McMurray, Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wallace, and that crew. There's no reason in the world not to go to Indianapolis this week and do something a little bit different and hope for some sort of craziness like we got last year when Casey Kane came out of Indianapolis with the win for the Rickyard 400. That's what I would hope would happen to bring some spice to what we're going to see there Sunday afternoon. Well, I think to, to see that spice, we're going to need one thing. Very simply, we're going to need some yellows. If that race runs green, most of the crew chief's hands are tied. But, Pete, you mentioned a list of drivers. One driver that jumps to mind for me, the 31 of Ryan Newman. I don't think they're performing any different on the racetrack this year. They're just not getting the yellows in that final stage to do the Luke Lambert sort of magic of two tires or stay out and give his drivers some track position. So if we see the chaos like we saw last year, and we could run these highlights forever, there was chaos abound for sure. It was on every restart, and it seemed like every corner. If that chaos happens, then shame on those teams if they are not throwing Hail Marys. They have nothing to lose. Pete, what do you think, Newman? You know, Newman's a good one because he's won there before. I think you're right about that, Steve. But we can't predict it. You know, and then the 400-mile race at Indianapolis, you're never going to mistake it for Martinsville. You're not going to mistake it for a super speedway race. It is its own animal, but track position, strategies, all that has played into this race really and truly since we first went there in 1994. So I would certainly keep Ryan Newman on my radar as well. If they decide to do what Steve just said, I think they could be in the mix for this and steal one of those playoff spots. Pete, we know you have Dale Jr. as a special guest tomorrow on the morning drive, one of our NASCAR and NBC personalities, of course, and a fan favorite. You guys pumped for that? I know he's excited. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, it's always nice when we bring a young, upcoming broadcaster on with us, Carolyn, so we'll look forward <laughs> to have Dale Jr. with us on the morning drive tomorrow Hey, morning. Pete, I got good news, too. Since the baby, he'll be up in time. No problem. No problem for a 9 a.m. calling. Great yeah. news. Yes, Pete, uh, show him the ropes for us, would you? We appreciate you being with us, and uh, we'll be listening tomorrow. Thanks. Okay, guys, take care. <laughs> All right, coming up, Parker is uh, over in the simulator. He's going to take some laps at the Brickyard last year's race, of course, providing its share of moments, to say the least. So what's in store for this year? We'll see what Parker's got for us when we come back. Stay with us. You know, there's no more play, and it's time to go. If I'm Kyle Busch, I'm contesting this spot. Oh, Kyle Busch slides and does the 78. They both go up into the wall through turn one. I uh, wrecked this. Locker down. Holy Big 
flames underneath the hood of Martin Shrex Jr.'s car. Another down the front stretch. Hard damage to the front of that car. Big impact. Green flag back in the air. Caution's gonna come out. They're wrecking behind them. So we didn't even get to turn one. We're in it. Everybody knows if you push the guy in front of you, it's gonna make that line go faster. And this is pushing gone wrong. And the 11 goes around. They're right behind him. Did they get to the overtime line? They haven't got there yet. Has the caution come out yet? Now the caution comes out. Chaos is one way to describe last year's Brickyard with a record 14 cautions. Parker is in the sim with more on research and why it's so hard to pass there, Parker. Right, Carolyn. Hopefully I don't cause my own cautions out here. But uh, what we're doing here is we're coming to a restart, as you said, because this is probably the most important section of a race for many drivers because this is where you're going to make passes. We're on the inside here. This is a long run to the green flag. And then you get going. It's very flat. Oh, what? Well, we got a little check up there. You don't want that to happen. I think we got some guys going all crazy behind me. And the thing that's so tough here is that when you get this restart, you want to make so much happen because you know if you can make a pass right here, that's a net game because it's so hard to pass once you get actually single file. And actually, the restart kind of continues off of turn one into turn two and down the backstretch because you're still trying to time a run to the cars in front of you. And I have to point out, though, we have a special guest with us in that 45 car ahead of me right now. That is uh, Xfinity Series driver Josh Balicki. So thanks to him for joining us as we go off into turn three here. This is about the last point you can be able to make a pass on a restart. And then from here, it's going to get single file. It's just the way this racetrack is. It is, it is what it is. It is Indy. It has one groove. And that is why we talk about so often it being hard to pass. And I want to kind of try to explain to you why it's hard to pass. Well, it's a single groove, right? So therefore, you can't really move your line around at times if you want to make a pass. You can't just run higher. You can't go to the Kyle Larson line up by the wall. The only thing you can do is try to put a little bit more air on your nose, as I'm doing here. Maybe you put a left front headlight a little lower, that sort of thing. But if you go up here like I am in turn two, that's not going to work. There's no grip. It doesn't turn. And Steve, I want to bring you in here because constantly we hear drivers who will say, oh, my car just won't do this in traffic. What do you do as a crew chief to help them make passes because they can't move around? It's, it's up to them to make the car work for them. Well, Parker, you mentioned it. Indianapolis, even at two and a half miles, it's a game of inches. If my car can drive in with some stability, turn the middle a little better, then I'm going to ask you, the driver, to be three, four, five, maybe six inches lower in the middle of the corner. Six inches may seem like nothing, but six inches lower than the car in front of you can be hundreds of counts of downforce. There's nothing I can do to make that car have 100 counts more downforce. You're going to have to do it by where you place the car, and you have to do that by with the setup that I put in it. But I'm going to tell you, two things I love when it comes to Indianapolis, track position and tape. If I can put more tape on the grill, that's more downforce. Everybody's going to look for that. The concern, though, is that green grass on the inside of the racetrack. You mentioned a restart. One guy goes through the grass, you're going to see a lot of cars overheat. Exactly, and you'll see cars go all the way down here on restarts and try to make passes as they fly off into turn three. We've seen that time and time again. And then a lot of times you overdrive a little bit like I did there, get into a car beside you. And that's the thing about this place. If you have the opportunity to pass, we see drivers make mistakes at times because it's so rare to have that opportunity that you might even get overzealous, overdrive it. And we talk about the draft. Well, that's one thing that kind of works sometimes, but it starts off the corner. Having the momentum like I have here, you're going to go down to turn one as we did to Josh and try to outbreak him, roll with more speed. 
And that is how you make a pass. And then hopefully don't get too tight in the exit like right now. And oh, I'm a little loose. Oh, you're going around. And Carolyn, I've just caused a caution, of course. Oh, you always had it, buddy. I, you know, I was, <laughs> I was doing so well. So close. We appreciate it, uh, though, Parker. Meantime, um, coming up, we are going to hear from a member of Brad Keselowski's pit crew who helped play a big role in Sunday's win at Darlington. Pit crew review coming your way next when we come back on NASCAR America. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Jack man on the two car. We battled all night tonight. Came down running second there at the end. Threw up probably one of our best stops of the night. Uh, so proud of the two car and uh, couldn't be happier to get our first win here at Darlington. Thank you guys. It had been 43 years since Team Penske won at Darlington. Of course, one of the keys was that final stop when Brad Keselowski narrowly beat Kyle Larson to win the race off of Pitt Road. Great job by the Pitt crew and our Pitt crew review. Meantime, coming up, we're going to revisit today's top story. Furniture Row Racing will close its doors after the 2018 season. We'll get NASCAR's reaction to the news when we come back. IndyCar series, by the way, on NBCSN, and as the sun sets on a very memorable season, Scott Dixon is looking to hold off American Alexander Rossi to capture his fifth championship, the Grand Prix of Sonoma. That's Sunday, September 16th. That one's right here on NBCSN. Earlier today, IndyCar released its 2019 schedule. Among the notes include the Circuit of the Americas, making its series debut in March, the legendary Laguna Seca, making its return to the schedule. That gets a big thumbs up from Parker Kligerman. It's going to now host the season finale and the centerpiece of the schedule the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500 on Sunday, May 26th on NBC. And a reminder, all of the action going to be showcased in IndyCar's first full season with the NBC Sports Group. So we're happy to bring that to you. The other big news of the day was that Furniture Row Racing will cease operations after this season. NASCAR has reacted to the news, and they say that they wish the very best to Barney Visser and his family. NASCAR will continue to work on growing the sport and working with the race teams on competitive and operational excellence. Much of those efforts have already been put in place and will continue to be a focus. Nate, with this statement in mind, do you know of any efforts that have been put in place? Uh, to help uh, make teams more financially solvent? Yeah. Is what you're saying? Yeah, well, you know, th there was the race team alliance on the team side a few years ago that Jeff Burton mentioned. Uh, that was four years ago. That led to NASCAR uh, creating the charter system, which allowed teams to get more guaranteed value for being members of the Cup Series. Uh, but, you know, as that statement indicates, this is, and as today's news indicates, this has continued to be an ongoing um, problem, challenge that NASCAR and its teams are trying to fix. So, Nate, if somebody's just joining the program or just learning of the news here, I think the big question from a lot of fans, what does this mean for Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern? Yeah, well, right, Carolyn, I mean, I mean Martin Truex Jr. is already a free agent uh, going into the 2019 season, so it's presumable that certainly 
He has been in contact with other teams already. Stuart Haas Racing, of course, has an opening. Joe Gibbs Racing does not have an opening, uh, but they are a Toyota team that Martin Truex Jr. has worked really closely with. Uh, and we've seen before where teams will shuffle their lineups to make room for somebody. So uh, I think those two teams are probably the teams that would be looked at as maybe the most likely candidates as Martin Truex Jr. looks for a place to race next year. You know, Steve, we mentioned the fact that this is a shop that's got 61 employees located out west, a lot of people looking for employment, a really frustrating time right now. If you are Cole Pern, if you're the crew chief in charge of this group, what are some small, simple steps that you can take to try to keep everybody in the game here as they head towards the playoffs? And, oh, by the way, have had a great season so far. Well, Caroline, I think at this point you put the playoffs second. You have some empathy for your employees. As, as Nate said, Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr., they're going to be in high demand. Their performance on the racetrack uh, will demand that from other race teams. The question is, the demand will dwindle as it goes through the entire organization, and there's not room for 61 employees at any other organization directly. So I think the most important thing is understand these are people's lives. This is their livelihood. This is how they pay for um, their family and how they raise their family. So if he has empathy, as I think Cole Pern will for the situation, help as much as you can the people find um, employment, wherever that may be. While it sounds counterproductive, perhaps that will circle the wagons a little bit. When you get to the racetrack, maybe the racing will be a nice distraction from the team closing, and uh, the team will have to, or, or hopefully, continue to push forward. We've seen them push through adversity before. I would expect the same here. But I think in the end, you have to put the employees over the performance of the race team. And Parker, as Steve noted at the top of the show, and you echoed his sentiment as well, that there is something broken here as it relates to why the defending series champion has a team that closes its door. So as you think about this proactively moving forward, where does the sport go from here? Well, I think it's two things. Either the teams find a way to make money or increase their revenue without sponsorship, or the teams, the large teams, are going to continue to contract down to the size of the smaller teams. Because right now, many team owners are talking about the car that is 31st in points is the, one of the few cars that has a financial model that is viable at this time. We know Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern are going to go somewhere. We don't know exactly where that is yet. But certainly, Silly Season has a lot left to offer as a number of drivers are figuring out what's going to happen for next season. That's all for NASCAR America for today. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back all this week. Wednesday, we're going to be at the Big Oak Table. That's a huge show as well and then continuing coverage as we look towards a huge weekend at Indy for NASCAR the regular season finale but until then we'll see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners ever. It means cooking not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.